and welcome to day one of ULAR 2022. My name is Laura Coates. Today, ULAR 2022, the first ever hybrid conference for ULAR and also the 75th anniversary Congress got underway. I would like to review what I felt were some of the key sessions and papers of interest from the CSF perspective. There were some terrific sessions today covering a wide range of topics and data. As a result of this huge amount of data, Today's podcast will be split into three sessions to cover rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and axial spondyloarthritis. We now have a wealth of data on rheumatoid arthritis, and it's great to see even more data and new data emerging. As such, it seems fitting to start this podcast session by noting that today we have the update of the ULAR recommendations on the management of rheumatoid arthritis presented by Professor Joseph Smolin. It's clear that having up-to-date recommendations is important for clinicians across the world. And obviously, as the data are moving so fast, we have new drugs and new data on the old drugs. It's really important to make sure that we have updated ULAR recommendations and other international recommendations that can support our clinical practice. Residual pain associated with inflammatory disease is a common patient-reported outcome even in those patients reaching inflammatory remission. However, it's often overlooked when we're focusing on treating patients to a disease activity target. Dugaros et al. examined the effect of tocitinib on residual pain in patients with RA and PSA who had control of inflammation. This was a network meta-analysis of pooled data from nine tocitinib RCTs, including patients with RA, or PSA. And the primary outcome was the patient assessment of pain at month three. Patients with RA and PSA achieving abrogated inflammation with tofacitinib or with adalumab at month three had a much greater residual pain reduction compared to those receiving placebo. I've selected four posters from today's session which focus on efficacy. These posters review data for baricitinib, filgotinib, and upadacitinib and add to our knowledge base of these therapies already approved for use in rheumatoid arthritis. As I go through these four posters with you, I'll also mention others for the above therapies that you may find of interest. So firstly to baricitinib, and this is data from an observational study looking at patients with rheumatoid arthritis, receiving a selection of different therapies across a European cohort. And this study looked at time to discontinuation of baricitinib or other drugs, as well as the effectiveness of therapy at 12 months. The patients were split into two groups, those treated with baricitinib, either two or four milligrams, and the other group containing patients treated with other biologic or targeted synthetic DMARDs. At 12 months, 26.7% of patients treated with baricitinib a discontinued treatment in comparison with 44% of those receiving other therapies. The most common reason for discontinuation in both groups was primary non-response. At 12 months, 24% of patients treated with baricitinib compared to 16% of patients treated with other drugs achieved a CDI remission. So this data shows that the majority of baricitinib treated patients did continue on therapy through 12 months and a good number of them achieved remission or had low disease activity continuing therapy. 
Other Barrister and posters of interest included Rosas et al, who evaluated survival in the first four years of treatment with baricitinib versus TNF as a first biologic drug and found that survival of baricitinib is superior to TNF. Caporali et al disclosed long-term efficacy of baricitinib 4 and 2 milligram dose in patients who were biologic inadequate responders in the RA Beyond study, observing that baricitinib maintained efficacy and control of physical function outcomes in that harder to treat population for up to 6.9 years. They also disclosed the efficacy of baricitinib in conventional DMARD inadequate responder patients in the completed long-term extension study, again out to seven years, showing that baricitinib demonstrated maintained efficacy in treatment and maintenance of physical function. Bayat et al. evaluated the efficacy of baricitinib as mono or combination therapy in an open-label cohort of RA patients who'd failed previous conventional or biologic DMARD failure, and they concluded that baricitinib monotherapy is efficacious in real-life treatment of patients with RA who have an insufficient response to methotrexate. Then moving on to filgotinib as another therapy. So this study was a post-hoc analysis looking at long-term treatment with filgotinib in patients who were on methotrexate or receiving monotherapy. The patients received 200 milligram, 100 milligram doses of filgotinib, filgotinib 200 milligrams alone or methotrexate alone out to 52 weeks. It was seen that the ACR 20, 50 and 70 responses in the filgotinib arms decreased modestly from the long-term extension baseline out to week 12, but then stabilized. Patients who switched from methotrexate to filgotinib showed stable response rates or an improvement in response rates. An occurrence of significant adverse events were largely comparable across groups. So overall, the response rates improved from the long-term extension out to week 48 from patients switched from methotrexate to filgotinib and decreased modestly for those who maintained on filgotinib, with rates of adverse events of special interest generally low across the groups. Looking further into that filgotinib long-term extension trial, a second abstract looked at the response rates in patients treated with filgotinib compared to those who'd initially received treatment with adalimumab. From the start of the long-term extension through to week 48, it was shown that response rates in terms of ACR 20, 50, and 70, DAS28 and CDI were generally maintained for those who came into the study on filgotinib and continued on this, and in the group who came into the study having previously been treated with adalimumab, but then switched to filgotinib. Although there were some differences between the different groups, safety was largely comparable and consistent with previous reported trials. Other filgotinib posters of interest include Kumetal, who examined the efficacy and safety of filgotinib in methotrexate inadequate responding patients in a post-hoc analysis of Finch-1 study. They found that patients in a high-risk group showed similar reductions in disease activity versus placebo, at week 12, compared to those who had less than four PPF. The modified total SHARP score in the forgotten of 200 milligram patients changed little 
from week 24 to week 52. Alitaha et al. evaluated the efficacy and safety of Forgottenib 100 and 200 milligrams in patients with RA who were aged over 75 years in the Finch 4 study. And they concluded that in this age group, response rates for key efficacy measures remained stable to week 48 and were generally higher with the 200 milligram dose compared to 100 milligram dose. Gottenberg et al. also used data from the Finch 4 study to assess the effect of Forgottenib on lymphocyte levels and lymphopenia in RA. They found that lymphopenia adverse events were infrequent, but were numerically greater with Forgottenib 200 milligram compared to 100 milligram, suggesting a dose response relationship. Tanaka et al. used data from Finch 1 and Finch 3 to evaluate Forgottenib's effects on radiographic progression compared to those treated with methotrexate monotherapy. In patients who had estimated baseline yearly progression rates of greater than five or less than five mean total sharp score units per year. This data suggested that Forgottenib's inhibition of radiographic progression was numerically greater than methotrexate monotherapy in RA patients with a high estimated baseline yearly progression. In a final Forgottenib poster, Belsa et al. used data from Finch 1 to 3 to assess the effect of Forgottenib on body weight and BMI, concluding that Forgottenib did not substantially affect the change from baseline in either body weight or BMI. Next, moving on to upadacitinib. This is data looking at the SELECT choice study and comparing the impact of upadacitinib compared to abatacept on individual components of composite measures of disease activity. It was seen that improvements in components of disease measures were reported for both upadacitinib and abatacept through 24 weeks, with numeric differences noted for several components. New data from the post-marketing oral surveillance study, which compared tofacitinib with anti-TNF therapy in older patients with RA and cardiovascular risk factors, has recently led to changes in FDA and EMA re recommendations for the use of JAK inhibitors. Post-hoc analyses of this data continues to provide us with new information on JAK inhibitors. With this in mind, Carpuzas et al. evaluated associations of acute and cumulative CDI measurements with major cardiovascular, malignancy or infectious adverse events of special interest in oral surveillance. So this study was a post-hoc analysis of the oral surveillance data and performed two different analyses, a time-varying multivariate model which looked at the risk of major adverse events when patients were in low, moderate, or high disease activity defined by CDI compared to those in remission, and looking at the area under the curve for the CDI score over a year prior to an event in the study. The hazard ratio suggested that when patients had low, moderate, or high disease activity compared to remission, they were potentially at a higher risk of developing MACE, BTE, and non-serious infections, excluding herpes zoster, but not malignancies, serious infections, or herpes zoster. So the risk of MACE, BTE, and non-serious infections appeared higher in patients who had active disease compared to those who were in remission. Other tofacitinib sessions of interest, Dr. Chiara Bellocchi, provided an insightful session on RNA sequence profile of rheumatoid arthritis patients to predict response to tofacitinib 
In the posters, Wright et al. evaluated the impact of self-reported race on tofacitinib efficacy and safety in RA patients, including that across racial groups, efficacy and safety was consistent with previous tofacitinib trial findings. Deakin et al. have emulated a target trial of adalumab versus tofacitinib in patients with RA using the OPAL dataset to illustrate the application of methodologies to address the challenges of non-random treatment assignment and incomplete data. And they found that DAS28CRP was significantly lower at three months with patients treated with tofacitinib compared to adalumab. Finally, Dukok et al. studied to see if clinical response differs between advanced therapies that have been initiated after stopping a JAK inhibitor. They found that IL-6 inhibitors seem to have a better clinical response after JAK inhibitor cessation compared to other modes of action, including alternative JAK inhibitors. I hope you've enjoyed this roundup of day one data on rheumatoid arthritis. If you haven't already, you can download our ULAR 2022 highlights brochure from cytokinesignaling.com to see the abstracts that we've selected for you for the whole of the Congress. Please join me again for my roundup of day one data on AXPAR and PSA. Thank you.